You are listening to the Talking Books podcast, a podcast dedicated to the true statement that leaders are readers. We hope you enjoy it and find the discussion helpful as you learn and develop as a leader. Why not join the discussion by visiting carltoncommunitychurch.com forward slash talking books and click join the discussion below the podcast episode. We would love to hear from you. And welcome to this episode of Talking Books. It's great that you could be with us. Today we're going to talk through Chapter 7 of Leadership Pain by Samuel R. Chand. And as always, we'd love for you to join the discussion. So go to carltoncommunitychurch.com forward slash talking books. Find this episode and click the button that takes you to the discussion page. And we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So this chapter is called You've Got to Love It. And um, I've got John here with me, and John's going to give us a quick overview, and then we'll dive into the nitty-gritty of the chapter and discuss this together. So, John, over to you. Thanks, Wes. Good morning. Chapter 7, as Wes said, it's You've Got to Love It. And when I saw the title of the chapter as I began to read it again, I just thought, what you got to love? And I didn't know quite what the chapter was going to unfold Mm. as I read it. But... When I reading it, I, I found very helpful ways he uses different phrases as to how, how we got to love pain. Yeah. That, that's quite a challenge to our modern concept, it is a, it's a to our Western world. But he used a title like reframing. How do I view it? And then he goes on about choosing a different response. Mm. And I think that is really powerful we need to choose a different response to how we perceive pain yeah. and how we deal with it. And I found that quite helpful, really, yeah. that we actually choose how we're going to respond. And, of course, he goes on to talk about how we reframe it from the viewpoint of God, mm. how God uses pain, uh, how there's always a positive in pain, how God works it for our good. And there's lots of great tips as well. And he also talked, which I found quite enlightening, and I've experienced it, talks about always being on display. Leaders are always on display. Yeah, always in the public eye. Always in the public eye. And he makes some great points, which we might refer to in a bit, but he talks about people can recover as leaders from all sorts of situations, but one thing they very, very rarely recover from is a public display of anger, Mm -hmm. where they just lose it publicly. And even yeah. politicians or whatever, government leaders or business people, when you when you hear them just firing off in anger, you think, like football managers, like we, we know a manager recently who's got the sack in a, one yeah. of the big clubs. And even before the season started, he was toxic. Yeah, He was just mouthing off in public. And all the great managers in football never talk publicly about their players. No. But he, he crossed the line. Yeah. And began to vent publicly. And I think that was the start of the that end for the him. End. Yeah. And I think for, for leaders and pastors, uh, we've got to really reframe how we see pain and also choose how we're going to respond to it. So that's that's my overview of the book. Yeah. Um, so the chapter starts off with this quote by T.D. Jakes, which says, yeah. you will never understand pleasure uh, without pain and that's a really challenging really yeah. challenging quote really challenging way to start mm. start the book off because i suppose it's true if you think about it if everything's good all the time 
Yeah. Then you don't know what bad is and good becomes normal. So then you just get used to it. And so it's not pleasure anymore, it's just normal. It's normal, yeah. Um, and that's where pain helps us to see what's good in life as well, as well as what's bad. Um, I found that very challenging. And it took me a while to kind of comprehend this next quote he talks about on page 163, uh, T.S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. Yeah. In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. And that's change and pain. Yeah. He tells a couple of great stories, really, as as he does in every chapter, about looking at pain and dealing with it. And he talked about Scott Wilson. And he talked about how he had to go and apologise to people because he was sitting at a table with someone and they asked him how big was the church mm. and he began to exaggerate the figures and the, all that night the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him rest it really troubled him and he rung the people up and went to see them yeah. and apologised but he talked about the pain of dealing with his insecurities and why would you want to exaggerate figures etc and it had highlighted something in him that the Lord was working with. And he makes a comment here. Little sins aren't so little. This is on page 151. They are a dose of spiritual poison, a gap in the defence that lets Satan shoot his arrows at us, a crack in a pot that lets our integrity and joy leak out. And he talked about the pain of having to humble himself and go and ask for forgiveness for these people from these people and it was painful but it set him free mm. and that's what he talks about in the little introductory story being set free by by dealing with those issues even though they're painful you've got to deal with them and we all have issues like that yeah that opening line challenged me as well little sins aren't so little yeah I had to think about that one and uh, realize there's no such thing as a little sin and uh, every sin affects someone or something it does and um, to God, in the eyes of God, sin is sin. Mm. And um, it gets tricky. And exaggeration is lying. And it's it's absolutely, yes. But how many times do we get tempted to exaggerate the figures mm. a little bit, mm. make ourselves look a little bit better? <laughs> but it's, it's the deeper side of things as to why do I behave like that? Yeah. Why do I say that? Why do I think like that? And then in page 153, he makes this statement which I found very helpful confession opens my heart to the flood of God's love forgiveness acceptance and healing power without it I stay stuck in the quicksand of denial if I want to live in the light I have to be radically committed to the truth yeah and that's powerful very powerful and we we find healing and then straight after that he says living in the dark not only impacts my relationship with the father it also negatively impacts my relationships with all the people in my life. And um, I think the overriding message of this chapter, um, the overriding theme is humility, I've found with this chapter. And um, as leaders, what we do doesn't just affect us. It's not just about us. No, it's not. And, um, you know, it affects the people we lead. It affects the people that we love. 
and um, it affects ultimately our relationship with God. I found that very challenging. And on page 156, where he makes some comments, and I wrote on my little page here, I know the title is You've Got to Love It, but I wrote a little, pay, a little line on my page here, Loving Pain! Exclamation mark. And he makes a great observation here, Wes, on page 156. And I know the title of the chapter is You've Got to Love It, but on my little page I wrote, Loving Pain! Exclamation mark. Because it's helped me to have a better perception of pain. Mm. He makes these comments. We've spent years thinking, talking and acting according to the old perceptions of pain. Now we are finding a new path. And we're just beginning to take a few steps down it. We need to learn to walk in wisdom. The wisdom we need to acquire redefines how we've thought about pain. Instead of despising it, we begin to see the inherent value in it. In fact, we learn to love it. And then he quotes Jerry Bridges from a book called Trusting God. And he says this. For the believer... All pain has meaning. All adversity is profitable. There's no question that adversity is difficult. It usually takes us by surprise and seems to strike when we are most vulnerable. To us, it often appears completely senseless and irrational. But to God, none of it is either senseless or irrational. He has a purpose in every pain. He brings or sorry. He has a purpose in every pain he brings or allows in our lives. We can be sure that in some way he intends it for our profit and his glory. Yeah. Very good. I wrote in my notes here based on that quote. To God, pain and adversity are never senseless or irrational, mm-hmm. even if we think it is. He always has a purpose. And um that's powerful and true. And, of course, as believers, we believe the Bible tells us that God works everything for our good. Yeah. Even at the time we're going through it, we may not realize what the good is. But looking back, you think, yeah, God was there. He spoke to me. He shaped me. Mm. He changed me. Just before that quote, he spoke about Matt. Um, he shared a story about Matt, who was ready to quit from the ministry. And um, he went on a retreat and God met with him through somebody else. God used somebody else to share a message with him and to tell him, I'm not done with you yet, basically. Mm-hmm. And I highlighted a bit here that really challenged me. It said, self-pity isn't a good foundation for a life of faith and hope. And um, I can't remember if it was this book or another book um, where it was suggested that as leaders, you can have a day of self-pity and then you've got to get back up and move forward yeah i think it's i here. think it's earlier in, in an earlier chapter <clears throat> and um, that reminded me of that and i just found that very challenging and then the first major point really is reframing yeah and wherever you're listening today i want you to consider that reframing looking at it differently and he makes his opening comments to this paragraph At some point, we need to radically reframe our concept of happiness, realistic expectations, and the purposes of God. The problem, of course, is that the things are as solid as concrete in our minds, hearts, and habits. 
So God often uses the jackhammer of pain, <laughs> ouch, to get through to us. In those vulnerable moments, we can become hardened and resentful, or we may become softened and receptive. Hmm. And then he speaks about a man called Dean Karnazes, K-A-R-N-A-Z-E-S. He is an ultramarathon man, and when I read this, he's run 50 marathons on 50 consecutive days. He ran 350 miles in three days without stopping and without sleep. <laughs> he has run the Badwater Marathon seven times, which begins in Death Valley and finishes 135 miles later, halfway up Mount Whitney. In an interview for Outside Magazine, he shared his view of American culture, and I think the same for us as well in, yeah. in the West. Western culture has things a little backward right now, he said. We think that if we had every comfort available to us, we'd be happy. We equate comfort with happiness. And now we're so comfortable, we're miserable. There's no struggle in our lives, no sense of adventure. We get in a car, we get in an elevator, it all comes easy. What I found is that I'm never more alive than when I'm pushing and I'm in pain and I'm struggling for a high achievement. And in that struggle, I think there's a magic. Yeah. Yeah, very powerful. I wrote in my notes here um, about people chasing money. Yeah. And they think that if they just become rich, then they'll be happy. And the amount of stories that you hear of rich people chasing money, achieving their goal of getting money and then being disappointed because they're still not happy. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> he talks about comfort here and comfort doesn't make you happy. Mm. But a sense of achievement makes you happy. It does. And my parents and th that generation didn't have comfort, mm -mm. didn't have all the things we've got today. And life for them was harder, but they they handled life's challenges. Mm. They didn't have the comfort we have today. And I think our society has, I mean, we think pain is an invader, whereas in their generation, it was part of life. You just got on with it. They stayed loyal and faithful and worked. Mm. And then he quotes on page 157, a leadership expert, Michael Hyatt, making a reflection on Carnese's life. He drew three conclusions about why we should embrace discomfort. And I want you to listen carefully. One, comfort is overrated. It doesn't lead to happiness. It makes us lazy and forgetful. It often leads to self-absorption, boredom and discontent. Number two, discomfort can be a catalyst for growth. It makes us yearn for something more. It forces us to change, stretch and adapt. Mm. And I think being adaptable is very important. Very if you're important. going to grow, you've got to be adaptable. You've got to be able to handle things and change. And number three, discomfort is often a sign we're making progress. You've heard the expression, no pain, no gain. Mm. It's true. When you push yourself to grow, you will experience discomfort. Yeah, very true. And then it goes on to make another observation about 
pain teaches us five crucial lessons among many others. Yeah. And we're just going to give you the headlines probably. One, we are weaker, more self-absorbed and more fragile than we ever imagined. Yeah. And when you have pain, it raises those issues. Yeah. I did write a note on that, that it's not a negative thing, mm. but it comes down to an issue of humility. Realising mm. that we are weaker, more self-absorbed and more fragile than we actually thought we were. And God is more powerful. Because he says here, as long as things are rocking along pretty well, we feel confident and in control. Mm-hmm. Heartaches and conflicts, however, have a way of bringing the dark side to the surface. Yeah. Like blaming others and other sorts of stuff. Number two, pain helps us realise that actually we don't have a clue what God is up to. <laughs> and I think that is a very... Uh, liberating statement to be able yeah. to say that and that's not being lack of faith that's just being an honest, honest realist yeah. and he makes this observation we thought we were pretty sharp we assumed we were in control we exercised authority over our domain and we were pretty darn successful at it until we weren't mm. our theology may have been accurate that God is the only omniscient omniscient Our theology may have been accurate that God is the only omniscient being in the universe, but some of us assumed we had an inside track on knowing what God knows. Mm. And I think that's what pain does. It makes you realise, I don't know everything, I don't know what God is. Well, I don't know about you, but the more I read the Bible, the more I realise I don't know about the Bible. (laughs) Tell me about it, yeah. (laughs) uh, Last line of that point, he says, we have the choice to trust Trust him him or not. not. And that's very powerful. We've got the choice. Mm. And what choice do we make? That's up to us. And I think, whereas as we go through these five points that he makes about pain, the five crucial lessons, that's all part of the reframing of how we view pain. Mm. Number three, we become more grateful. And he makes this observation. When our sense of entitlement fades, we see all the gifts and blessings of God through new eyes. Instead of taking love, health, salvation, time and friendships for granted and focusing our hearts on the things God hasn't done for us, we reassess what's really important. Yeah. And then the last line of that, it says, we have him, he has us. Yeah. And maybe for the first time, that's enough. Hallelujah. What a great phrase, Wes. I've underlined it in my book as well. Yeah, amazing. The fourth reason for pain, or the fourth a uh, lesson we can learn in pain is we find God to be beautiful instead of just useful. useful yeah. And I think in our Western church particularly, we find God useful. Mm. Help us fulfill our dreams, do this and that, yeah. instead of finding him. And I love it, it says in the Psalms that God showed his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel as they journeyed. Mm. Moses saw God, Israelites saw what God could do. That saw how God, how useful God was, but Moses saw how beautiful. Yeah, I. Uh, it reminded me almost of a lawyer, if you like. And mm-hmm. um, I wrote this down: How many times do we treat God like a lawyer? He's useful mm. when we get ourselves into trouble or yeah. something, and we give him a call and we ask him to bail us out. But I don't know about you, but most of the time, you use lawyers when you need them, and then you don't have anything to do with them the rest of the time. <laughs> That's right. And I wonder how many times Christians have a life like that, where they use God when they need him, but then in their everyday life and the rest of the time, 
he just gets put on a shelf. Until they're in trouble again. Yep. And at the end of that section, where he makes his observation here, in pain and times of testing, we have wonderful opportunities for God to purify our hearts, change our motives, and delight more than ever before in the beauty of his grace and greatness. Yeah. That's reframing how we view pain. And the final one in that section is we become more tender, more understanding, and more compassionate. Mm. And he quotes Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which we won't read, but he quotes Paul there. With the comfort we received, we comfort others. And I think for us, having Kathy been through that serious illness, uh, it kind of makes you soft. Yeah. And more compassion for people. So when you visit people in hospital or you hear some sad news, it impacts you because you know what pain's like. And I think that's one of the blessings of pain. It makes you more compassionate. Yeah. It makes you more tender. And sometimes you have to go through things in order to help people through the same thing later. Mm. And sometimes that's why God puts you through it. <clears throat> so that our leaders, we can have compassion on people who are going through something similar later in life. Absolutely. And there's a danger in our... In our Christianity, we have very, very pet answers, mm. or pat answers, and it's not real. It's not yeah. real. We were talking about earlier in the book, wasn't he? Throw away Bible verses. Yeah. You know, trust God. Mm. God's your strength. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. All these verses that people say, they're not always helpful. They're not always helpful, no. So, wherever you are today, if we say nothing else... I would think the Holy Spirit is just emphasizing here, reframing your understanding of pain, oh, pain yeah. reframing the power of pain. And then the second major point, and time's running out here, on page 161, choosing a different response. Change is hard, but sometimes is absolutely essential. Mm. No more excuses, no more delays. It's time to make the necessary adjustments in our intentional planning and our responses to people and situations. Superficial change may not take much effort, but changing how we think and how we instinctively respond requires discipline, determination and accountability. Then he goes through a list of attitudes which help us to choose a different response. One Define the limits of your control. You can only control your thoughts, choices and, and priorities. You can't control the behaviours and attitudes of other people. And I think that's there are some things you can't change or beyond you. Yeah. So you have to do that. And your schedule. And your schedule, yeah. Put rest, family, time and fun into your schedule and stick to it. Number three. Make sure you do a few things you really enjoy. Very important. All jobs include some drudgery, but don't let the pressures of the job keep you from doing things that give you pleasure inside or outside your normal job description. Number, number three, watch for hidden stresses like guilt, perfectionism and worry. Number four, aggressively address the biggest pain producers in your life. Don't be passive and just accept things as the way they have to be. Your family and career may be your life... Sorry. Your family and career and maybe your life are at stake. Identify the things that make you stay up at night and give you cold sweats or cause you to dread. 
And finally, triage the stress. You probably can't resolve the most significant causes of stress in a short time. So pinpoint the most important ones first. Mm. Yeah, very good. And then he talks about Stanford professor Robert Sutton. Um, I found this challenging as well. It was talking about anger and hostility being contagious. Yeah. And um, the whole group can be come infected by the anger and hostility of one person um, and you just spoke about you need to make sure you devote your energy on the task at hand and not on the bad apple yeah um, I found that very challenging actually because mm. we've seen it pretty recently really yeah. um, where that's been the case where anger and hostility has become poisonous and of course, like he says there about if you can detach yourself from it and, and not get involved in yeah. it, because in, in the bad apple example, he quotes that instead of looking at how to progress, people are taking all their energies and focusing on the bad apple. Yeah. And that's where he talks about detachment. <clears throat> and then he talks about Jesus and strategic withdrawal. Yeah. And uh, I think that's very important. Mm. Jesus did withdraw a lot especially when he had a big confrontation that he needed to have. He would withdraw first and he would withdraw after. Mm. Um, it's not empathy, it's wisdom. Psychological distance gives us room to respond instead of reacting in fear, hurt or anger. And then he goes on to talk about building trust. And I know that I'm probably... An old foggy west, but he mentions on page one six four. Today, a lot of communication is done through email and texting. But the intent of the heart, and this is true, often doesn't come to us digitally. And I think emails, you know, for communicating serious stuff, emails are not are not the right way to do it, mm. because you can't. They're open to mis uh, interpretation misunderstanding like some people get sacked by a text message yeah strange a good principle in developing trust is to move up at least one medium if you normally send a short text send a longer email if you gradually email sorry if you regularly email make a phone call if you usually call, ask for a face-to-face -face meeting. Relationships are forged on trust, and trust can't be built when hearts fail to connect. Mm. It's very true. Oh, there is so much more, Wes. There is. He talks about the importance of owning up to your part yeah. in any misunderstanding. And uh, he said the three little words that are vital to cement relationships aren't I love you, mm, but I was I, wrong. Mm. And uh, blame is instinctive, confession and restoration are beautiful, powerful and cleansing. And then he says this and it's true, sadly rare. Sadly rare, yeah. And then in conclusion words, because time has gone, his final section in, in the in the chapter is always in progress yeah so we're all a work in progress 
and he makes this comment here. One of the most enduring and endearing truths in the Bible is that God is more than willing to use flawed men and women mm. to accomplish his purposes. That's a good thing because none of the other kind is available. Yeah. At best, we grasp only a fraction of God's greatness and his purposes. But he's thrilled when we sign on for the adventure of a lifetime. And then finally he says, Knowledge can be acquired in an instant, but wisdom comes only with time, experience, reflection, honesty, and affirmation. This is in page 168. In every aspect of heartache, difficulty, crisis, and pain, learn to walk in wisdom. Yeah. So my dear friend, our dear friends, we want you to take this message and learn to reframe your pain and learn to respond differently to yeah. your pain. And uh, that's all we've got time for. He ends with this. He says, know this. At some point, we need to radically reframe our concept of happiness, realistic expectations and the purposes of God. You've got to learn to appreciate the lessons that you learn from pain. And that really draws the chapter together. Yeah. And uh, so it's been great to have this conversation with yes. you, John, and, and you too, with Rose. you out there. And um, we look forward to speaking to you next time. As always, join the discussion. Go to carltoncommunitychurch.com forward slash talking books. And then we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Books. We hope you found it helpful and encouraging. For more information or to leave a comment and join the Talking Books discussion, please visit carltoncommunitychurch.com forward slash talkingbooks.